everyone. Uh, welcome to Whale Women's Night. Women's Night. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was asked to speak this evening and share my testimony. So I just wanted to thank my Living Hope family for that and allowing me to share my testimony and how God has changed my life. So I break it up a little bit, so I tell you a little bit about my life and before God. So before God, um, it was, I was a workaholic. I worked around the clock. I would get up at 6 a.m. and um, leave it and not get home till 12 and do it all over again and all over again. I think my record is three days without sleep working the whole time. So I worked a lot. And then I ended up, and I controlled everything. I had to control everything because it was the only way to avoid what everything else going on in life. So working was my, I guess my addiction is what you, the behavior is the same. So controlling everything, I can do it all myself. And um, even I was, I got pregnant and I was not married and I had my son. So I became a single mom, controlling a bit more and a bit more. I can do this myself. I don't need your help. I don't need your help. I don't need anybody's help. I can do this. But I wasn't doing a very good job. So <laughs> this is how bad the control was. So I was in labor, drove myself to the hospital in labor, gave birth with just me and the nurse. So if that's not control, I'm not really sure what is. <laughs> so <laughs> this went on and on and on. I, you know, I, would, I didn't have any respect for having a job and being blessed with a job. I would just get one. Oh, I don't like that one. I had a bad attitude. I'll get rid of that one, grab two more. I would have, I think the most I had at once was four. So again, I was tired, I was cranky. I probably wasn't a very nice person. Actually, I know I wasn't. <laughs> so it just, life was chaotic. Um, I, oh, and in amongst that, I tried to go to school as well. So <laughs> that, so I was a single mom, working a lot, and going to school at the same time. So I did manage to get a job in, um, as an addictions counselor in a detox center. Funny, right? <laughs> Even though I wasn't drinking and doing drugs, I was working myself to the ground. Y'all got it. That's good. <laughs> so that continued on for quite some time. And then um, God had a different plan. So I ended up, I found myself having a part-time job. And for any good workaholic, that didn't feel very nice. I was uncomfortable. I was scared. And I lived in fear. So with that being said, I got called in to work one day, and I lived an hour from my job. So any good workaholic is going to say, yeah, I'll come. Sure, I'll be right there. So I hop in my, oh, sorry, I should rewind a little bit. So because I only had the part-time job at that time, I had no money for rent, so I was going to get evicted. I had no insurance on my vehicle. I had no registration in my vehicle. So I had an illegal car that I hopped in and proceeded down the highway. Normally, I would take a back road. However, today I decided, because this was all God, he said, no, you're going to take the highway today. So I did. I hopped in my illegal car, <laughs> and I proceeded down the highway. All of a sudden, I see the police. They pull me over. My heart, all of a sudden, the realization of, oh, I'm not insured, I'm not registered, and I'm very illegal, and I, he's now going to pull me over and tell me all of that, which I already know. So I get pulled over, and, uh, and he says, you know, license registration. I hand him all of that. And um, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I can see that ne next exit if I can just get there. Um, if I can just get there, I'll be safe, and I won't have to pay for the tow. Again, still controlling everything, right? So when he went back into the vehicle, because I, I, I said that to him. I said, can I, you know, I'm just going to drive to that next exit. Is that Okay. No, just give me a minute, he said. So he goes back into the car, and I was like, surely he'll understand if I just go to that next exit. So surely, that's what I did. <laughs> so I proceeded to the exit. Lights flashing. He passes me. He's telling me to pull over. I'm like, I'm just going right there. So I go, and I, I pull off to the exit. So now he has friends. I pull off the exit, and um, he, I crack my window about this much, because again, I have to control everything, right? I crack it about this much, and I said, I, I just want to pull over there. And he was mad. He was mad. 
He takes the window and he shoves it down. He opens the door and he hauls me out of the car. Hauls me out of the car. We proceed to wrestle in the middle of the highway. Wife's cop right there. <laughs> We're wrestling in the middle of the highway. Um, he finally, um, again, he has friends. Uh, me by myself and, and things are just very uh, chaotic. So then he gets the cuffs on me, throws me in the back of the car. I get out of the cu- and, and I get out of the cuffs, and his friend isn't happy about that. So he hauls me out of the car again, slams me against the car, puts the cuffs back on me again, and I'm back in the car. So this goes on a couple of times. I get out of them a couple of times. So finally, I just give. I, so where I end up is the night in jail. I have no I have no job. Again, that's not good for a workaholic controlling single mom. Um, so I'm about to lose my job, and I'm, um, well, I did lose my job, I'm about to lose my place to live, and now I'm embarrassed, and I work in the addiction field, and I, I don't have a job. So, believe it or not, that was all God. <laughs> I didn't think so at the time, but it was all God at the time. So that's fine, I, I humble myself, and I, uh, I spend the night in jail, and I call a friend, and I said, can you come get me? I just spent the night in jail. She said, okay, so uh, if you, that entailed charges of assaulting a police officer and a whole bunch of traffic violations that I didn't want to pay because it, it involved a lot of fines. So I did that, and um, my, again, my friend picked me up, and from there, I was left broken, beaten, literally, and bruised, and my ego was bad, and um, it was just not a good scene. Um, I was lonely, I was broken and beaten. So this friend of mine that historically has asked me to go to church um, uh, at work, she worked with me, and she said, Ange, why don't you come to church with me? And my answer to her was, if I go to church, that roof will cave in. Because um, that's just not my thing. But you know what? So she called me this day, and I said, you know what? I have nothing to lose, and I'll go for the music. (laughs) I like the music, yeah. So I went for the music, and... um, that day, something very, it, it, something strange happened to me. I call it strange because that's the way it felt. Because I didn't know when to stand, I didn't know when to sit. And this was my fear of going to, and you know, they're all going to judge me. Well, that wasn't the case. People opened their arms and they, they loved me. And they, they worshipped with me. And they cared about me. So from that day on, I said, well, I want more of this. Because I like how this feels and I didn't like how that felt. So with that being said, I um, continued to go to service. I went to Wednesday night service. I went to Sunday night service. I gathered, I went to every class that they offered, uh, anger. Uh, <laughs> and um, any other, anything else, um, authority, discipline, anything else that they could offer, um, healing. So I got all of that at church. So then one weekend I was asked to, uh, or I went to what they call an encounter weekend, And the encounter weekend is a whole weekend with God. And uh, again, this is all God the whole way through. It sounds horrible, but it's him the whole way through. I go to the encounter weekend, and that's the weekend I get saved, and I gave my heart to the Lord. Because I knew I liked how this felt, but I didn't like how that felt. So that being said, so keep in mind, all of this is going on while the court case is still going on. So we're going into two years. So... um, the one time, so I had learned a lot of things, and I had started volunteering. Again, I'm, I'm still learning, so any good workaholic is going to volunteer at the food bank five days a week. <laughs> and uh, the friend that has asked me to go to church, she said, I just bought a house. Um, remember, I don't have any rent. Would you like a place to live? I'm going to give you my mobile home for free. All you have to do is pay the rent. That's God intercepting again with love, even though I was not doing what I was supposed to do way back when. Then at the food bank, we normally didn't take um, donations for large appliances. We would take food and clothing. So one day a truck pulled up and said, do you know anybody who could use this washer and dryer? I didn't have a washer and dryer. And and the lead at the time said, Ange, could you use a washer and dryer? Oh, and they have a dishwasher as well. And we'll deliver it. Okay, sure. Thank you. Again, (laughs) God help me out there too. So I was set. I I had food. I volunteered at a food bank, so I didn't have to worry about food. I had a roof over my head, and all I had to do was pay lot rent, and I had a washer and dryer to clean my clothes, and all I had to do was do the right thing. So I was following God at this time, but again, court case was still going on. 
So I was starting to get anxious at the time, and uh, there was because I worked in the industry of addiction, and uh, that was what I was going to do for a living, right? And I thought my career was over. I'm, I'm going to have to scrub toilets. I don't know what I'm going to have to do for a living. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I finally, um, I was sitting there sobbing and feeling sorry for myself, and I hear God say, write the crown a letter. Now, I don't know who knows about the justice system, but that's normally not something you would do because that's like telling on yourself. So I did. I, I, my lawyer did not like that piece. Uh, she was not happy that I... So I went against my lawyer's um, advice, and I wrote a letter to the Crown explaining everything, admitting what I did. I just admitted guilt to the Crown. Gave that letter to the Crown, and I went into the courtroom. And then this... And I, I supported people in this courthouse. So everybody, when I walked into that courthouse, I didn't have any friends except for God. He was it. It was just me and him. So I sat there... And I, I read and I waited. Um, and I, oh, there was one more blessing in the middle of that. So I had to go change my address once. And uh, the duty council, I waited there all day. So I had to take the train to this courthouse because I did not live in the city anymore. So um, he said, you know, you've been very, pa very patient all day, he said. I said, yeah, I missed my train home. I don't know what I'm going to do. He goes, you know what, I live there. Uh, he goes, I'll drive you home. And have you eaten today? I said, no, I haven't. He goes... Oh, here, I'll buy you something to eat. Wow. So the, the, the Crown, uh, the duty council lawyer drove me home to my door and bought me supper. Wow. So going back to the letter, I'm sitting in, going to the courthouse and waiting for uh, the, to do what I need to do um, in front of the judge. This was the, the sentencing day. The plea, yeah, I had to enter a plea. So my lawyer came, she went upstairs and talked to the Crown and the judge, that's what they do. And she comes back down with this shocked look on her face. And I went, hmm, I don't know if that's good. <laughs> so, but I said, that's okay, that's okay. So I, I, I um, she said, I want you to plead guilty. You want me to plead guilty? Okay. You need to plead guilty of assaulting the police officer. All right. I, I told myself I was going to be obedient and do what God said I needed to do. So I did. And she said, it's strange, she goes, it's not the judge that was scheduled for your case. You have a different judge. He's a family court judge from a different city. I thought, hmm, okay. And it, so that was very strange. I think if, uh, because I worked in that court system, people knew and had, had already had a judgment against me. So it was, I think, that, or I know, that was God as well, to have a different judge that day. So I walk into the courtroom. He asked me how I plead, and I said, I plead guilty. He says, and this is the biggest thing that has changed my whole life and where God intercepted the most. He said, Angela, he said, what I'm about to say is not going to make very many people happy and especially the police officer you assaulted. I said, okay. He said, um, I'm going to grant you absolute discharge. <laughs> absolute discharge means no criminal record and I can now have my career. So if there was any question at all that I was supposed to have a career in the addictions field, there was no question at that time, because that was a gift from God. He said, so you have absolute... He said, the only time I want to see you in this courtroom, he said, is if you were supporting somebody else. <laughs> Thank you. So when I let go of control and being a workaholic and let God take over and intercept. That is when I received a peace that only God can give. Wow. Wasn't that awesome? I had no idea. I had no idea. Hi. <laughs> it's like I'm meeting you for the first time. <laughs> this is really cool because, like, we're all learning about each other. So, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Raquel. And here's my disclaimer. <laughs> we're all family, right? We're all fam. It's just it's all good. So, I'm very transparent. <laughs> And I'm not very traditional. <laughs> so I usually just kind of say what's just on my mind. So bear with me. Um, tonight I want to talk to you about when love intercepts disappointment. OK? 
okay? Yeah. So by a show of hands, how many people have ever had life go in a direction that they never anticipated or expected? Just raise your hands. Awesome. Now look around. Raise your hands. Keep them, keep them up. Now look around. You are not alone. <laughs> you are not alone. We all go through stuff, right? Unexpected stuff. Whatever challenges you faced, there was someone else going through something very similar. There's someone else who's already gone through it and has overcome. And there's someone else who's about to go through what you're experiencing today, okay? That means that you, have, you always have the opportunity to support, to learn, and to encourage. Don't ever feel like you're alone because you're not. Never make the mistake of withdrawing into isolation during hard times. Always make yourself available and transparent and accountable. That's your lifeline. God always, God is so good. He will always bring people your way, friends or family members or random strangers, but there's always that connection. So take hold of it. <clears throat> so, the past two and a half years for me has been a journey, <laughs> and it's literally been a season of multiple disappointments. Yeah, that's pretty much the sum of it. Just, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's been a ride. So I'm not trying to compare war wounds or anything like that, but just for the sake of being transparent, I'll just share some of the things that I've experienced. Okay, so I have experienced two failed relationships, and we will leave it at that. <laughs> I've been laid off. Um, I have had my family and I, we've experienced the unexpected tragic deaths of family members. One family member was actually murdered. Um, I've experienced the heaviness of having a broken heart. The frustrations of feeling stuck. Um, I've had health issues and health challenges. Um, I've had multiple blood tests, MRIs, CAT scans, all, <laughs> all of that fun stuff. I've seen several specialists. Um, and I've also experienced the frustration of repeated closed doors and a lack of opportunity. And not for a lack of trying. So maybe you've experienced this. It's almost like being on a treadmill and you're working hard, you're working super hard, but you're going nowhere. <laughs> so all you're doing is exerting energy and sweating, but you're not accomplishing anything. And you're nowhere closer to the things that you feel that God has called you to do. And that is super frustrating. And suddenly I found myself in a place that the Bible speaks of in Proverbs 3, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And there I was in a place I had not expected or anticipated. And I found myself sick and broken. Throughout the disappointments, I have come face to face with three challenging questions. In fact, I still answer these questions daily because I'm <laughs> still going through stuff. I haven't arrived. <laughs> I'm still journeying through some stuff right now. I'm just keeping it real. Um, question number one, how will I choose to respond in this very moment? So every day I wake up and I have a choice. I can stay in bed and cry all day because life is not what I want it to be. Or I can get up out of bed and give God thanks for giving me life, a roof over my head, the love of family and friends, the, the strength to have a successful day. There's nothing too small that I cannot thank God for. I can thank God for my toilet. <laughs> For some running water, for some soap, okay? Whatever it is, I'm going to find something, and I'm going to thank him for it. <laughs> so, the Bible says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, so, 
in asking myself that question, how will I choose to respond in this moment, that came from a place of being so broken and so depressed that I literally, when I woke up, I had to speak to myself. I had to coach myself to get out of bed. I literally had to say, okay, Raquel, today you are getting out of bed. Then you're brushing your teeth, you're going to shower, and you're going to eat some breakfast. And I literally, step by step, had to talk myself into doing everyday tasks that should be second nature. But in that place of brokenness, it took so much energy to get myself ready, to get to where I needed to go. Like There were times where I'd have to apologize to people. I'm like, I know I'm late. But for me, this is a victory because I showed up. So, I promised I wouldn't cry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Micah 7, verse 8 says, Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. And though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, O Lord, are with me. Question number two. Do I believe that God is who he says he is? In other words, do I trust him to come through when all hell is breaking loose? Do I trust him to provide when I've lost my job? Do I trust him to give me peace when I'm on the brink of losing my mind? Do I trust him to heal me physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally? Do I believe God is who he said he is? Or is it just words? Psalm 62, 8 says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. So, <laughs> here's a nugget of truth for you. Um, <laughs> who here has ever read the Psalms of David? Anyone? Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about David for a little bit. Um... You read one psalm, and he's, like, angry and going to kill people. And then you read the next psalm, and he's depressed and suicidal. And then you read the next psalm, and he's elated and joyful and praising the Lord. <laughs> he's just a hot mess. He's just, like, all over the place. But I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for putting real people in the Bible. Goodness gracious. So that tells me. That whatever it is that I'm going through, I don't have to put on a mask before God. If I'm going, if I'm having a bad day, I can just say, Jesus, we're not doing this today. Give me grace, Father. Give me grace because I'm about to throw down on this person. They say one word, Jesus. One word. And it's, it's over. Can I just share one story? <laughs> This is embarrassing, but I have people in this room who can vouch for this story. So one day, it was Black Friday, we were going shopping, and the other people shall remain nameless. Don't worry, I'm not going to call you out. Um, and we had been circling that parking lot for 30 minutes trying to get a parking spot. So we finally found a parking spot. So I said to, I said to my friend, okay, I'm going to jump out. I'm going to stand right here. You back the car in. We got this. We can go shopping and get those deals. Okay, we had a plan and a strategy. And then, <laughs> as my friend is trying to back up, this man decides he's going to drive into the spot where I'm standing. I was like, sir, you don't know. I'm sorry, I'm tired, I'm hungry, and I'm PMSing. But if you want to do this, sir, we can. When I say I was not going to move from that spot, that man was going to have to run me over if he wanted that spot. <laughs> I was not going anywhere. And then the Lord, knowing where I was at in that point in time, 
brought an angel from paradise who said, would you like to take my parking spot instead? And I was like, thank you. <laughs> Lord knows I was going to take off my shoes and throw down. Okay, you have to understand, I was not in a good frame of mind at that point in time. I had broken up with my boyfriend. I lost my job and I was PMSing. I was not behaving very godly that day. In any case, I believe God who he, I believe God is who he says he is. <laughs> Question number three. Oh, actually, no, we're going to back it up. Uh, Psalm 91, verse 10, 11 says, No harm will befall me, and no disaster will come near my tent. For he will command his angels concerning me to guard me in all my ways. This tells me, this is my guarantee for victory. And that means that the situations that I face will not break me. It will not break me. In fact, I'm going to crush and conquer it with a smile. Question number three. When I don't understand, will I trust that God does? Okay. Got to be honest. This one's the hardest for me. Psalm 139 verse 12 says, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. So, I still have questions. And I don't necessarily have answers to them. I don't know why God chose to take my aunt in the prime of her life. I don't know why the one that I loved didn't fight for me. And I don't know why the one that I loved didn't love me back the way I needed him to. I don't have answers. And I don't know the reasons why I went through all those painful experiences. But I know one thing, and I know that God is faithful. If I choose to have the right perspective, then I can find beauty in the battlefield, just like Bo Stern talked about. How many of you remember Bo Stern coming here and visiting us? Okay, awesome. Get her book. <laughs> She's awesome. But that tells me that... <clears throat> I need to set my focus right. Because if God is who he says he is, then there's a blessing to be found and there are lessons to be learned and there's the opportunity to grow. Love is not a feeling. Love is a person and his name is Jesus. And what I've learned in this season is that love is willing to meet you right where you're at. He is willing to intercept if you allow him. Contrary to what your situations and people are telling you, you're not forgotten. You're not alone. Don't give up. Don't give up. I'm here today to tell you, don't give up. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. It doesn't matter how many tears you cry. It doesn't matter how broken you feel. It doesn't matter how much you hurt. Don't give up. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God wants to do something new in you. He wants to do something unique and something special. You're not just an object thrown away in the corner. You're not unnoticed. You're not overlooked. Love calls you by name. And he knocks on the door of your heart. And he's calling you home. For some of you, he's calling you home. He's knocking on your heart and he's calling you by name. And he's calling you home because there are better days ahead for you. And he wants to walk with you hand in hand the whole way. The whole way. He will never leave you. 
and he will never forsake you. That's his promise to you. Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14 says, What would have become of me had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage. And let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope for and expect the Lord. Expect that he's going to come through for you. Know that he loves you. That you are the apple of his eye. That you are precious and honored in his sight. That he crowns you with beauty, glory, and dignity. That's the God who's after you. And that's the love that wants to intercept your life today. Will you let him? I just want to leave you with this final thought. (laughs) There is a love that cries when you cry. There is a love that hears your heart's cry and your heart's desire. He knows you and he sees you. This love is the same love that will crown you with gems and jewels. And he's going to heal every single wound. Whoever you're broken, he's going to heal you. His heart, his heart's desire is to make you brand new. Again, I ask you, will you allow him? Thank you.
really great. There's so much talent in this church. Hi everyone, my name is Jen Carruthers. Um, it's a great topic that got chosen tonight for the Real Women Ministry team, by the Real Women Ministry team. When love intercepts. I'm known to be a real big word person. If you spend any time with me, you'll figure that out. I think that the words that we speak play so much more importance than we really give them credit for. So when I was asked to speak tonight, I spend a lot of time thinking about what it means when love intercepts. No worries, by the time I finish this, I will actually be calm. <laughs> the word intercept means to obstruct someone or something so as to prevent them from continuing to a destination. When thinking about this, a couple of images came to mind. I'm in no way a sports person, but the first one was a football pass. The player throws the ball to one of his teammates and somebody from the opposite team gets in the way, grabs the ball and runs to the opposite end. Another image that I had, one that I'm very familiar with, is the GPS in the car. You know where you wanna go, you program it in, the GPS determines that something's in the way up ahead, and it says, recalculating. <laughs> and suddenly you're going in a different direction than you thought you were going to go. So what does it mean to us when love intercepts? My thoughts went to, what is love? Love is really such a wasted word in our modern society. We say that we love our family, we love our friends, you know, the usual group. But then we use words and we say things like, girl, I just love your hair, or I love your socks. <laughs> the Bible tells us that God is love. Now that's the kind of love that really makes me smile. So when love intercepts. I started to think about all the times that love has intercepted my life. When I got thinking, I had to go back to the beginning of my life. No, no worries. I'm old, but not that old. This won't take us all night. <laughs> but I got thinking about where I started. I'm the product of a teenage pregnancy in a time when that truly wasn't acceptable and they definitely didn't make TV shows about it. My parents could have chosen to hide what had happened, a trip to a private doctor's clinic, and I wouldn't even be. Did you know that the Bible says that God sees us in our mother's womb? That he sets out a good plan and a purpose for us at that time. Each and every one of us were created with a good and loving plan for our lives. So for me, as my parents contemplated the predicament that they were in, at that time love intercepted and my life began. I was a young girl when a friend in my apartment building invited me to church. I don't know how many of you started at church by being invited. Mine was a, probably about an eight-year-old girl. I don't know her name, and I've never seen her since. But there at church, I met the God of love, unconditional love, a God who loved me at that time just as I was. I've learned over the years that life is not about a destination, but rather a journey. My life story is one of consistency. Pastor Mary told us to take the lid off first. <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> every one of us has a story and every one of us are on a journey. I have been privileged almost my entire life to have God on my journey there to guide me through all of life's ups and downs. Through my young years, while my parents themselves struggled to put food on the table, 
clothes on their back and find their own way. Through early years where I was bullied by the best of them because of my byway and hand-me-down clothes. How many are old enough to remember the wonderful cheap store of byway? <laughs> yes. To this day, I still have nightmares of brightly colored cotton pants in a time when all the kids were wearing dark-colored work pants and I stood out like a neon light in a sea of darkness. Through the years of developing, five to ten years before all of my peers, so that I looked more like the teacher than the young teachers just out of university did, through my radically hormonal teenage years, years of low self-esteem, depression, trying to find my own place in the world, love intercepted and helped me through. Through my first teenage love heartbreak, the God of love said, I still love you. He picked me up, he dusted me off, and set me back on my feet. Through life's troubles and problems, love saw me through. Now, I don't have a dramatic transformation to tell you about tonight. There was no specific moment when love intercepted and changed my life completely. My story is one of being anchored. Anchored to a trustworthy anchor. One that has stood the test of time. One that is not moved by my circumstances. It's not moved by my actions. And it's not even moved by the circumstances of the world around me. My life anchor has been and always will be God. He is there through the good days, the bad days, and pretty much everything in between. An unconditional love that has been the anchor all of my life. Now, I've seen some big storms in life, the kind of life events that really shake you and truly test the foundation of your life beliefs. But time and time again, I saw how being anchored to God, who is love, helped me through. So let me tell you about a fairly recent story. Everybody loves stories. This is a story of how love intercepted and turned my circumstances around. It's also going to show you why I believe so strongly that our words are so important, as I mentioned in the beginning. A few years ago, my husband and I joined a friend in a business plan. It was amazing. We bought into the vision and prepared for what we thought was going to be the most amazing business journey ever. It was quite the journey, but definitely not what we envisioned. Within months, an unforeseen turn of events eliminated the partnership and left my husband and I with no support and all the debt. It was a, broken amount, uh, sorry, a mountain of broken promises and a huge task ahead. We were really optimistic and we forged on. At this time, our business was in a little town controlled by a group of people who felt there was no room for outsiders. And if you haven't guessed, we were the outsiders. <laughs> they set out to destroy us. They spread some of the most horrendous rumors you would ever believe. Things got so bad that we couldn't send our daughter to the local school. I had to drive my daughter to school over an hour away. That's one hour each way, morning and afternoon. Four hours every single day, alone in my car. That's a lot of time to think. I started to use this time to listen to motivational podcasts. I kept hearing people speak about the power of the spoken word and how important it is to take your thoughts captive. At this time, I listened to podcasts and songs that reminded me about who love is and how he had been there and I had been anchored in all the storms past. In this time, I learned some really important truths. As I said, the importance of our words, taking our negative thoughts captive, and learning to speak life. Learning to speak the good and not to focus on the problem. Learning to lean on that anchor of my life and to truly trust in the God who is love. It was hard for me at that time to accept that this loving God who had created the universe truly had a plan for my life and could meet me where I was at in that moment and help us out of this. June 18th of 2014 is a day that my family will never forget. It was our turning point a defining moment of sorts. This was the day we sat before the loan holder and he declared, foreclosure, you're ruined. And don't forget, your house is your collateral. We're left with a lot to think about. At this time, I created a series of positive confessions. 
You know when you've heard those things over and over again? You might as well try them out. So I made my positive confessions and decided to line up words, my words, with the word of God and all things positive. There were days that I drove down that highway with streams of tears, literally screaming my positive confessions just to drown out the doubt that I felt racing through my mind. So at this time, we met with a bankruptcy trustee to see what our options were. And he says, I'm sorry, but you're just not ready for bankruptcy yet. Could have fooled us. We were just under $1 million in debt. We struggled to pay the bills. There were no extras, and needs were now our luxury. But we kept on confessing our positive words. And most importantly, we kept entrusting God that he had a plan for us. On the outside, we looked like we were crazy. But something started to change on the inside. In the midst of this storm, we found peace and confidence. We were finding things to laugh about, and we treasured all the little victories. I found a job near my daughter's school. Our house sold. We kept confessing the positive and taking all negative thoughts captive. In a crazy, out-of-this-world turn of events, the kind only my God could, could orchestrate, our debt got wiped out completely without bankruptcy. Now, as exciting as that victory is, I don't want you to miss the truth that I learned because it truly can change your life. You see, my husband and I could have rolled over in defeat. We could have gotten sick from anxiety and worry. And we could have whined to everyone we met. Now, don't get me wrong. We had some really tough and discouraging days. I don't want it to sound like it was just la, la, la. No. Something rose up inside when we determined to take our thoughts captive to trade them for positive words, and to trust in God, who is love, to work something good from our mess. As time went on, the pressure diminished, and despite the chaos around us, we were enjoying life. So I have a little exercise for you to try. In your head, I want you to start counting from 1 to 10. Now speak your name out loud. What happened to your counting? You had to stop your counting in order to say your name. You just prove that your thoughts are subject to your words. It's an amazing thing. A simple trick that I use for my positive statements is that I program them as daily repeating reminders into my phone. When they pop up, I'm reminded to say them. Some of my current ones include, I am confident. I am strong. I'm a beautiful woman inside and out. I change them up as I need. So... No matter what you're going through, whether it be big or small, remember that your life is a journey. We all have a story, and it has a new page to be written each and every day. The choice is ours to take our negative thoughts, to trade them for positive words, and to start turning our life around. My prayer for you is that no matter where you are on your journey today, May the stories that you've heard shared tonight in some way have inspired you to let God, who really is love, intercept your life. excited to be able to share uh, what God's done in my life. So this is a story about fear and the overcoming power of love. I had a pretty average childhood. I had great parents and a brother that I got along with. It was very typical. However, even looking back, I can see that as a little girl, I was a worrier. Whereas most little girls' minds are filled with carefree thoughts, mine could turn even the most common situations into uh, just 
like my worst case scenario. I would just play them out in my mind. These thoughts didn't consume my every waking thought, but looking back, I can see them as a constant undertone in my life. There always seemed to be something to be worried or concerned about. And I would constantly be voicing these what-if thoughts to my family, and they would just lovingly laugh it off and tell me to stop being such a worrywart. I couldn't understand why they, how they didn't see things the same way that I did. I saw my fears as very real and very possible. Around the age of 11, my mom gave her life to Jesus, and I began to go to church with her. As I was there, I learned about God, and I was told the right way to live and to behave, but it never became personal to me. I never understood that what God really wanted from me was a relationship. And without that personal relationship, the rules and expectations were laid onto me like a heavy weight, and they were impossible for me to achieve. I felt like I was a constant disappointment. As this weight of expectation grew, fear began to creep its way into my life. Fear made me feel out of control. So in response, I tried to hold onto everything in my life with a tight grip. I felt like if I were in control, then I could prevent all of my worst fears from being realized. So this need to control caused me to become quite the manipulator. I learned how to manipulate situations and people in order to protect myself. I was good at anticipating what people would do and would try to coordinate situations so that I would benefit. Life became a sort of chess game and I desperately wanted to win. As I hit those wonderful high school years, <laughs> so good, <laughs> the fears that I'd grown so accustomed to began to play on all of my insecurities. Was I good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, lovable? So I turned to relationships and guys to answer these questions. I began dating when I was 15, much to my parents' disapproval, and started looking to my boyfriends for validations that I, that I was good enough. Having a boyfriend gave me that worth that I was looking for, and they would quiet the insecurities, but only for a little while. The problem was that their love was never big enough to fill the void that I had in my heart, and they could never silence the fears that I was good enough indefinitely. It was also a huge risk to give someone else the power over my self-worth. So I needed them to constantly approve of myself. So I started, began to adapt my personality, uh, my likes, my dislike. Oh, you like that? Me too. Oh, you don't like that? Me neither. Oh, you like that food? Yeah, me too. Oh, these are the clothes you like? Okay, I'll wear those. I would do whatever it took for them to, to keep their good opinion of me. So, when a relationship would inevitably end, my self-esteem and self-worth would plummet. And I would immediately look for someone else to give that power to. I was always sure that the next one would be it. The one that would calm all these storms in my heart and in my mind. But they never were. Once this cycle of relationships began, it didn't stop. And for the entirety of my high school years and into my early 20s, if I could guess, I would say that I was probably only single for a few months. So as I got older, I realized that this was a destructive pattern, but somehow I couldn't seem to walk away from it. The thought of being alone was terrifying. So as relationships continually failed to answer the nagging questions in my heart, I spiraled into feelings of guilt, shame, and even more fear. When I went to university, I thought it finally meant freedom. I threw off all those rules that had been put on me in my childhood, and the knowledge I had of God and the right way to live just faded into the background. I thought that I was throwing off all these weights of expectation, the ones I'd never lived up to anyways, and now I could do what I want. I'd never been much of a partier in high school, but as I went to university, opportunities presented themselves to me that I'd never experienced before. 
I didn't have anyone telling me how to behave, so I just embraced the lifestyle of everyone around me and assumed that this is what freedom must feel like. I turned to alcohol, partying, and recreational drugs to try to numb my inner pain and turmoil. The funny thing is that no one around me really seemed happy, but I think we all just kind of tried to convince ourselves that we were. I was always convinced that the next party would actually be fun, and the next night of drinking would actually be a good time and not riddled with guilt, shame, and embarrassment. It never was, but I guess as long as you believe that the next time is going to be better, it's impossible to stop the cycle. Ooh, losing all my notes. So in this season at university, with, uh, with all the partying, fear took on a new form of anxiety. I hated myself and would have constant anxiety attacks that left me feeling helpless and hopeless. I believe that my anxiety stemmed from a deep-seated fear of the future, along with the crushing guilt about the life choices I was making. This left me feeling miserable and utterly overwhelmed. Sometimes, I would look at my life and it was like I was watching a movie. One of those movies where you see the main character making poor choice after poor choice and you're on the couch hugging the pillow being like, no, don't do it! <laughs> but they can't hear you. <laughs> and all you can do is watch it play out. I felt completely helpless and stuck in my life. When I was 22, I was at the end of my rope, going through another breakup, and the anxiety I had was exhausting. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't seem to see my life except through the lens of heartache and anxiety. I thought about going to counseling, going on anxiety medication, meditating, anything. But God had always been at the back of my mind, and I wondered if he could help. Did he even see me? I thought that I had to try, and so one night I remember asking him for a sign, anything. I needed help. And I went to bed fully expecting God to give me this amazing dream that was just going to solve all my problems and give me all the answers that I needed. <laughs> so when I woke up the next morning, there was nothing. <laughs> and I went through my day, and there was nothing. Nothing, nothing. I was probably getting more and more upset as that day went by. So when I got home, I remember I sat down on the couch and I put um, my cell phone on the coffee table. And I sat, as I sat there, I said out loud, somewhat angrily, so God, where's my sign? And at that exact moment, the friend that I had just been with texted me. And she's not a Christian, but her text said, don't worry about anything. God has a plan for your life. Wow. <laughs> so that text definitely freaked me out. <laughs> I felt like I had just gotten a text message from God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so within a couple of weeks, I started to look for a church online. And I found Living Hope. I came out to a service. And I got connected with a girl at the church, the lovely Jen Miller. I'm so thankful for her. She invited me into her life, inviting me over for dinner constantly, which as a student living on their own was a huge blessing. <laughs> Free food. Free food. <laughs> she showed me a no-strings-attached kind of love as she looked for ways to bless me. We also had long talks about life and about God. And one night, about a month after coming to the church, she drove me home and asked if I wanted to pray with her to begin a relationship with Jesus. And I did. I woke up the next morning with a peace that I'd never experienced before. It was as if every ounce of anxiety was gone. And I knew that something incredible had happened because I'd never known peace like that. The peace was amazing, and God's love just flooded into my life. When I went to school that morning... Uh, my friends in my class even saw the change in me because they knowingly asked, so who's the guy? <laughs> <laughs> to which I replied, God. 
<laughs> he had filled my heart with a love bigger than any boy ever could. It was a love that overthrew all of my fears and anxieties and gave me a hope for my future. His love came in and started to slowly change my life. One of the first areas or things that I felt him put his finger on was all of these relationships. <laughs> I felt him drawing me out of the world of dating, and it was terrifying at first. If I didn't have a boyfriend, then who was going to tell me that I mattered or that I was worthwhile? or that I was important. As I took this step of faith though, he began to heal my heart. He healed me from all of the heartache that I had experienced. He helped me to forgive those who had wronged me and helped me to forgive myself for those that I had wronged. God's love came in and validated me in ways I never thought possible. The questions that my heart had were answered in him. I began to learn and grow and discover who I was when I wasn't trying to keep a relationship. What clothes did I want to wear? What food did I want to eat? <laughs> what movies did I want to watch? I handed God the mess that I had made out of my life, and he never once judged me for it. He helped me make it into this beautiful mosaic that spoke of his loving redemption. That was about seven years ago now, and God's love still fills my heart. Now I have a refuge to run to in the hard times when the storms come and when fear tries to creep its way back in. He still whispers peace to my storms, and I know that his arms are always waiting for me. He's planted me in a great church. He's made my family relationships stronger, given me friends, opened doors for me that I never could have. He's always been faithful. I know that he's with me and that he fully loves me. Thank you. Guys, can we all give all of these women a round of applause? Yes. I am so proud of you guys, like so legit proud. Coming up here and sharing your story the way that you did is not an easy thing, and especially in front of a couple of hundred women. So that's incredible. You guys did a, an amazing job. As they were talking, it was hilarious. I'm thinking we have a Houdini in the house. We have gangster lady in the house. <laughs> She's going to see reaching for the shoes. Run, run. <laughs> but what I found more, um, what I just found the most interesting was that Everybody's story is so different, but there were some commonalities within them. And that everyone was searching, everyone was looking, everyone needed love. And they're no different than you and I. I think we could all sit back and say, I need love. I need more love. I need to know love more. And I need to know who Jesus is more. And I just want to take a second and maybe we could just close our eyes for a minute and before we end tonight. But I don't know if there's anyone out here that um, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you're hearing these stories and maybe there's something that you can identify with. Or maybe it's just the longing in your own heart that you need love to intercept your life. And I want to give you that opportunity tonight. Where if, if you wanted to have or start your own relationship with Jesus and allow him to intercept you tonight. It's a simple prayer that we'll pray together, all of us. But if that's you and you want to start this relationship with Jesus, could you let me know by just slipping up your hand and saying, yeah, that's me. I need love to intercept me. If that's you, just go ahead and put up your hand. Thank you. I see your hand.